Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. This is your first time a podcast is a personally oriented discussion centered all around selected topics. And today's topic is all about capitalism and podcasting. Our guest today is Gabrielle Renee, a financial planner, tax expert, as well as the host of the Talk Money with Friends podcast. We're going to do a deep dive into who she is, why she has a podcast, take a look at the current state of capitalism as well as the housing market, and try to figure out what exactly Bidenomics is. So, without further ado, let's hop right into it. All right, Gabrielle, thank you. Very, very much for being here. I appreciate it. I always like talking economics with people, talking about the economy. And I think this one is going to be a no-holds-barred discussion. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yes. Thank you. Hi, Will. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I definitely am looking forward to this conversation because I do like to talk about capitalism and how it impacts others and our lives every day. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this great conversation. I'm very, I'm very glad you have a podcast. First of all, because I think a lot more people like you need podcasts, meaning financial experts who own their own business and kind yeah. of need to educate people of either the working class or even people above the working class who just don't know a lot about economics. It's hard to follow. We were talking before this podcast even started. The news and everything—it's so overwhelming, and CNBC can kind of ignore a certain type of people. So, first off, thank you doing a podcast yeah. and actually serving people. So with that being said, please introduce who you are, what it is you do, um, and like who you serve. Yeah, my name is Gabrielle Renee. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm sure you can detect an accent. I was born outside of the country in a small uh, island called Haiti. Not so small, but it is small uh, to me. And um, I came here when I was a teenager to study and also went to college, got my uh, degrees, my undergraduate degrees in business and finance. And then eventually I got my MBA and my master's in taxation. So I went into uh, this industry because I wanted to learn enough about it so that I could um, share and also educate my community. And uh, those, like you said, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you did not study finance or taxation, you will be at a loss. So people like me who have done the work are able to, I'm able to, um, you know, explain things in a way that you can understand. Because I think it's very important to explain information and, and, and convey knowledge in a way that everybody can understand. That's why on my podcast, Let's Talk Money with Friends, we say money encompasses everything. So every single week I tackle different topics that are really relevant and timely. And topics that everybody can relate to. It doesn't matter if you're a high schooler or someone with a PhD. Unless you have your PhD in economics or even if you have your PhD in economics, you will get something because we tell stories, narratives. Narratives are important. We tell stories and everybody is able to relate to those stories. So, yeah, I would encourage everyone to tune in and really uh, participate and let us know what you think about this podcast that uh, we do. It, to me, it's very important, as I say, very timely because the conversation we need to have. Because many times you have folks who think that, oh, you know, if I'm not going a certain way, if I'm not achieving certain goals, it's because my fault, internalizing the shame. And we tell you on my show, you don't need to be ashamed. You just need to be informed and be empowered. So, yeah. That's why I'm, I do what I do, to empower and to encourage others to really find collective power 
because empowerment is one thing to be empowered by yourself. But when you have collective power, meaning like you're not doing it alone. That's why the podcast is very important because when you hear others, because I have guests, Will, that comes mm-hmm. on the show, just like I'm a guest with you, and they have their stories. They tell their stories. They tell, they really share in depth about their experiences. So others who are watching are able to say, huh, I've been through that too. And I thought this, that about myself. Oh, I didn't have to. Oh, next time I know how to deal. I know how to work it out. I know how to find resources uh, next time around. So yeah, empowerment is very important to me. And it's, it's hard to talk about money. Like it's genuinely difficult. Like even, even for people who are better off or more privileged, like young couples very much struggle talking about money. And when they get married, they kind of get their finances together. And it's just like, oh, you didn't oh, yeah. tell me you had $80,000 of student debt. Like, why didn't you tell me you had $80,000 of student debt? Well, because it's embarrassing. And I, I yeah. like that you said the word, don't be ashamed. You yeah. cannot you cannot be ashamed of your financial situation because being ashamed isn't going to help you. What's going to help you, though, is being honest. But that, oh, with that being said, like with being so hard to be honest about money, how do you get guests to open up and be honest about their financial well-being? Because... I could do it, but I don't know if I'd like to do it. <laughs> well, I'm very convinced, I guess. But also to make it very easy. Uh, you know, it's just having a conversation. If you find a friendly person, I think once you find, because I remember personally, I was going through a financial crisis and I needed support and I was ashamed. I was ashamed because I didn't want those around me to know what I was going through. But you know what? A stranger, a total stranger who sat next to me at a conference opened up to me and she started sharing her own story. And I was like, oh, if she's sharing, I can't share. It was very safe. It, the place, the space was very safe because A, I really didn't know her. So I didn't think she was going to pass any judgment on me, but also do I feel like, oh, many times the shame stems, stems from the fact that we don't want people around us to really know what's going on with us. So if you're able to open up to a stranger, uh, it's better than nothing. So if definitely you should have a safe space, you should have friends and family members that you can trust to open up and let them know. Because at the end of the day, like you said, the shame is going to kill you. I know people personally, folks that I've worked with in the past, folks in my community, folks that I've known over the years who have done the worst. And by that, I mean like in their lives because of the fact that they were going through a financial crisis and they were too ashamed to open up, to just open up and talk to someone. You never know who has the answer. You never know who has the solution. For me, that woman led me to a place and that place was able to empower me, to empower me and help me get out of a situation that had brought me a lot of shame. So I my encouragement, that's why I do this show, seriously, because I want folks to be comfortable talking about the hard things, the difficult part of money, of finance, personal finance, so that they can be liberated because um, truth shall set you free. But you got to know the truth. And the way you know the truth is by letting people know what's going on so that they can share truth about what's going on with you, how you can go about finding solutions, and all the resources that are available. Many times we are in our homes or, you know, hiding with shame, and we don't know that there are plenty of resources available to help you get out of your shame. So the conversations that I do on Wednesdays on Let's Talk Money with Friends, we share resources, we share narratives, and we just share love. To me, that's what we're sharing. 
uh, we're sharing a lot of great information to help empower our community and our viewers and listeners. The resource resource is a big one, right? Because mm-hmm. even 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 myself, I'm sure there's more resources I could be using. I'm here in New Jersey. I did I did grow up in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, especially the Boston area. Very progressive oh, place. Boston is a phenomenal, gorgeous city. But like, I'll, I'll use my uncle as an example. My uncle, this is this is an ex- a way of taking advantage of the system. So even though he's um, on, you know, he was on um, his pension, but his his pension was so low because he used to work for the airlines. He's technically oh, wow. on, he's technically on food stamps. He's in Delaware, but he didn't even know that was a system to be put in place because. Yeah. He didn't think to ask, and someone had to tell him. But the key, the key to that story is resources and providing resources. In yeah. Boston, like the third or fourth most expensive city in the country, as much as I love it, it's a gorgeous place. It's really, really effing expensive. So, yeah. like, what, what are, what are the best resources for anyone? Because even New York, major city, super expensive. Nashville becoming expensive. Austin becoming expensive. L.A. Mm-hmm. always is expensive. So, if someone lives in these metropolitan areas. What what's the typical resource? What's the best way to find the resources? The best resource is your neighbor. Your, I love your that. Neighbors, oh. Your neighbors, not your neighbors. And by and I don't mean the person just living next to you, but everyone, everyone that you meet, they're your neighbors, and you need to open up and have conversations, and uh, engaging people and letting them know uh, that you are here and that you are working class family and you are looking for resources. And of course you have to use your judgment. You know, mm-hmm. if you think that someone is like off, a little off, you don't want to waste too much time with that. But most people, many other folks that I've met are very open to share. So definitely your neighbors and also to come in out and be part of the collective uh, in your community, because they are organizations that are doing great work uh, either in housing or in healthcare, childcare, they are organizations that just like, for example, religious organizations such as churches, you have to come. I know for my church, every Sunday, we say to my pastor says to the audience, you know, to the membership, if you are going through a hardship, please let us know because we are here to help. Yes, we have resources within the church, but we also have folks who are at the church who are looking for resources outside of the church to help you out with housing, with um, food, you know, and anything else you might need. So I think it's so important, again, to open up, not be ashamed, understanding that everybody's going through the same thing. You're not alone. This is not something that, you know, the, the challenges that we are facing in metropolitan area like Boston, New York, you know, where the housing, uh, the housing crisis is really huge here and prices are so high that your average family is spending 80% of their income. 80% of their monthly income is going towards rent. So oh. what else do they have? They don't have anything else left. Now, they, if, after paying rent, many of them don't, cannot even afford food. They cannot oh. afford clothing. They cannot afford um, medicine. They cannot, no. I, know, I know an elderly lady in Boston who after she pays for rent, she cannot buy her insulin and she's diabetic. So uh, every month she's reaching out for support, financial support from her church and other organization, uh, organizations within the community. So definitely reach out, don't be ashamed. You are not alone. It's what's going on is, be, is above you. It's beyond you. It's yeah. a system. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's literally, it's socialism. 
in 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 its in a, in a sense of a neighborhood and like a, a community, like a small community. So yeah, people just literally sharing goods and helping each other, like like a fund even, like like everyone in the neighborhood doing fifty dollars a week. Aid. Mutual aid. They, they mutual are, aid. They, exactly. Mutual aid. Yeah. Yeah, but, they, but yeah, why, yeah. Why? Why is that so hard to come by? Like, say, like a like a bad neighborhood in Massachusetts. Like, yeah. uh, I can't remember one off the top of my head, but you know, you don't you know, want to like, say the name. They're all good. They're all good neighborhoods. They have challenges, but they're all good. Yeah. Okay, I'm mean, good people, but like, um, imp- impoverished, struggling. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's yeah. Apologies, I didn't mean to use the word bad, but yeah, impoverished. Yeah. But like, yeah. why is it so hard for them to come together and be like, hey? We all need lifting hands. Government ain't going to help us. Rich people aren't going to help us. Entrepreneurs aren't going to help us. Capitalism aren't going to help us. The only people that's going to help us is literally each other. But it's so hard to do, and it doesn't really happen as yeah, much as it should. Well, it, you, you, said, you said church, community, church, community, phenomenal. Yeah. Church, yeah. church isn't enough credit for helping the community. But right. why, does, why is it so hard for poor people to help each other? Yeah, it's systemic. It's systemic because mm-hmm. the system, you know, divide and conquer. And many times you are so busy working two, three, four, five jobs to mm-hmm. uh, to barely make it. So definitely you don't have the time, the bandwidth on a, on a weekly basis to really come out to be part of your community. I know for me, in addition to being a, a business and also um, a financial tax uh, professional, I'm a community activist. So in the community, when you try to pull people together and say there is power in the collectivity, collective power is what is necessary in order for you to get to uh, where you individually, where you get get to where you need to get and also build up your community so that it's no longer continue to be impoverished and the resources are being, uh, you know, um, brought into the community. The resources from our tax dollars are not going to be coming here if we don't demand that. So in order, in order for folks to come out and be part of that struggle or fight, they have to have the time. Many times they don't have the time. I know folks uh, in the areas where I work, you know, they're working two, three jobs again to pay that high rent. You know, an apartment in the Boston area and some of the um, most impoverished uh, communities in Boston or, or neighborhoods in Boston, an apartment, a uh, one-bedroom apartment is almost $2,000. And your average, the area medium income here in Boston is not $40,000. I believe the last time I checked, it was about $35,000. So yeah, $35,000 $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $35, $
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, when I was in school studying, it's almost like, you know, when you have total control, when a few companies, a few major players have total control of the market. So sometimes it's just one player that has total control. For example, I remember years ago before Walmart became the Walmart that it is today, where everywhere you turn, there's a Walmart, right? We had mom, mom and pap stores that, you know, we had access to people had businesses and then all of a sudden they came to a community and said product dump, you know, literally uh, cut prices so low that your regular, uh, your mom and pop couldn't keep their business open. So uh, definitely, I think it's, it, it is the capitalist system. Like, you know, everybody's looking for lower prices. Every Everybody's looking for access. And that's one of the, the, those companies. That's what they're able to do. They have economies of scale. They're able to um, have uh, products available uh, to the consumer at a very low price. But the price cut that you receive, the discounts that you receive in did not come uh, easily. It came at a price to those who are manufacturing. We, we just talked about the fact that I've been uh, to China when I was in grad school, I actually spent uh, a couple months. I think it was like 20, uh, six or eight weeks in China, and I was I was able to be one of those people who had the privilege of going to manufacturers. Uh, we saw the workers, and we saw the conditions uh, that they were working under, and also many of them had an opportunity to have conversations with us. And not only reading from, you know, the books, but being able to see folks who are working 16, 17 hours a day and not be able to make $10 a day. So uh, at the expense of us coming here, being able to go to chain stores like the one that I just mentioned, be able to get discounted products, but... Trust me, I, I was saying to you earlier today that um, I read this book uh, this month or last month, Conscience Capitalism. And John McKay, I believe his name is, he's um, trying to convince us that there's such a thing as conscience capitalism. And I will beg to differ because I think that um, at certain levels, at the top of the pyramid, yes, you might be able to experience that, the shareholders, stakeholders at that level, they might be able to say, yes, I've experienced conscience capitalism. But those who are at the bottom of the pyramid will tell you differently. Uh, you ask someone uh, who works for a multinational corporation in my country where I was born, uh, in Haiti, uh, they'll tell you uh, making $30 a month, working 10, 10, 15 hours a day is not very conscientious. Yeah, I would agree. Um, American capitalism, you know, it, it affects Americans heavily for mm -hmm. the better and for the worse. Now, right. as, the, as we're moving on, it's going more towards the worse, at least in my opinion. But globally, mm -hmm. it's even worse. You know, this cell phone right here that we all enjoy. I don't even know how much I paid for this. I couldn't tell you. But well, like $1,500 for the 13, iPhone 13, 13, $1,400. Yeah. But the human cost around the whole rest of the world, how they just the cheap labor that American companies say they don't use, but they totally do use. I do. It's, it's almost unavoidable. So, yeah, I would say on an international level, the surreal cost of capitalism is, you know, unquantifiable. 
hands. But in the externalities, day, that's what they call why the externalities. Many right. times they're not talking about how it's impacting the environment. How is it? Because I remember the year that I went to China in Beijing, people had before COVID, people were wearing masks because of the pollution. Mm-hmm. It was so polluted over there. Um, um, cancer externalities like there's high rate of cancer uh in 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 that country uh healthcare is a big thing now because of all the things that they, they didn't know because we have um by environmental protection agencies here in this country but when those multinational corporations or these big corporations they go overseas then they're not governed they're not uh, governed under the same guidelines that they govern here. So many times, uh, you know, they bypass so many regulations to get to the bottom line. And yes, we get to, as a matter of fact, I get to benefit. Everybody gets to benefit because like I said, when I go to one of those chains and I get a discounted shirt or a discounted product, I am part of the problem um, that's causing the hurt and the pain and the, Difficult that people are experiencing overseas. Well, we do benefit from lower cost of things. However, right. back to the monopoly point, like a Walmart, like you, you can't say Walmart of itself is monopoly, but like Walmart, Target, and like another store combined, like an Amazon, All can right. be considered a monopoly because, yeah, the prices are low, but if we had more competition, they might be lower. Right, we don't know, and we're never gonna know because it's arguably a monopoly, right? Correct, correct. I mean, they they find a way because of the power that they have, economic power that they have. They find a way powerful. to alleviate others and then stand alone. Yeah, but and and when they get too powerful, it's supposed to be one: the government steps in and creates regulations, or two. The workforce comes in and unionizes and pretty much fights for the right. And we're kind of seeing one happen and the other one being completely ignored. And the one I'm seeing that's happening is unions and labor movement. And I, I, I support unions. I, if you want to join a union, I support your right to join a union. Would I personally join a union? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I, I think unions are phenomenal when they work and they're really bad when they don't. Um, yeah. we can, we can talk about unions and the positive benefits they have and don't get me wrong. They're there. You have a voice, you have a, a chance, a fighting chance, but unions are also super corrupt and we see corruption at the top But the union gets too big. It gets corrupt and they end up working with the bosses to screw the workers even more. Mm-hmm. So what, what are your overall thoughts on unions? And do you, you think cannot, you can you cannot be sleeping with the enemy, first right, of all. Exactly. You, know, you gotta stand with the workers, or you gotta you stand to. with the organization. I know in Boston, we I'm very familiar with tenant uh, uh, tenant organizations or tenant union uh, unions. So it's very important that if you're gonna stand with tenants or you're gonna stand with workers, that you stand with workers. If not, you are gonna be bought. You are gonna be bought because they the big banks or the big corporations they have money that the working class doesn't have, you know? So in, in order for you to stand with them, you have to really make a decision that you're gonna stand with them, but it's that easy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, unlike you, I feel like unions are very important 
Uh, that's the collective power that I talk about. In order for you to get anywhere, you have to have come, you have to find common ground with other people and being able to stand collect as a collective because you do it by yourself, you're not gonna get anywhere. So I know you said you don't like union, but try to do it alone. Trust me, everybody's trying to do it alone, always lose because you don't have the economic power, you don't have the social power, you don't have the political power to stand against anybody by yourself. But once you work as a collective with your neighbors, with your coworkers, or with your the tenant, the tenants next door to you, yes, you're able to get to make things happen. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen uh, places where folks were getting evicted or folks were being like pushed. Uh, the community was getting uh, is getting, but you know, worse case scenario. Everybody was getting evicted out of the community, but a handful of people, a group of people, decided, you know what? We shall not be moved. We're not going anywhere. We're yeah. going to stand and fight, and we're going to do it as a collective, not as an individual thinking that I'm smart enough, I can do it all by myself. If you think so, you're going to get buried alive. But if right. you say, you know what, I have something, my neighbors have something, or my neighbors have something, and we all together, let's put our heads together and fight this and stand for what we want, stand up for what we want, guess what? Many times we have just like a union, a workers' union, collective bargaining where people are able to sign collective agreement, collective bargaining agreement that they're happy with. Typically, sometimes, many times, the win-win. Because many times, you know, even those, uh, let's say you're fighting an employer or you're fighting uh, with um, with uh, a corporate landlord, many times they're not thinking about some of the things that uh, the tenants are looking for or the workers are looking for. But when you sit down and have a conversation, conversations, many times, not all the time, but many times they get to understand and say, you know what, let's meet halfway. Let's have a win-win situation going on here. And and yeah, that's that you cannot do that though on your own. I will emphasize that over and over again. Collective power is is the way good to go. Well, on, on your on your own, you, on your own, you can't really negotiate for the whole. And let me let me let me, just, let me actually get clarify my point. I am not necessarily anti-union. I support if you like if workers want to unionize. I fully support their right to form a union. So, like Starbucks right. right now is looking to unionize. If that's what they yeah. want to do, I hope they win. Amazon, same thing. I know how bad their working conditions are. I hope they win. When Biden crushed that labor union um, with the the railroads. I was yeah. just like, come on, man. You're supposed to be the most pro-union, and you just you didn't you took the power away from the workers. That made me okay. sick. However, yeah. the flip side is like I, when people speak about pro-union, I agree with all their points, but I okay. do not hear enough of the people who are very, very pro-union saying, however, you gotta be careful because of X, Y, and Z, meaning okay. the corruption, because if they're not pro-worker. Like, I am a 1,000% pro-worker, but the union has to be pro-worker. And then the other flip side is, listen, like, if you got to do construction, construction jobs on New York City are all union, as they probably should be, right? Boston as well. My brother works and is an engineer, so he's very familiar with unions. Unions, it takes a very long time to finish the construction, and unions make things very, very expensive. And some of the regulations are very, very, very good, and some of the regulations are very, 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 very tedious. And that's because of the unions. Now, that can be a good or a bad thing. 
It's just, it is what it is. So unions are not a perfect tell-all to any solution. However, they should definitely exist and they should not be illegally busted, which they are. Well, nothing is perfect. This is no, life. No, of course not. It's, it's an life. option, right? Like, if, you, if you're a worker, I'd rather have the option than not have the option. I'd rather have the option as an individual, be like, hey, is this union going to work for me? Great. Is it not? I'm going to pass. The options, yeah. it's all about options for me. Yeah. Well, my very first job when I was like 19 or something, I worked in retail mm-hmm. and, and um, we had a union. And I remember vividly as if it were uh, yesterday, um, uh, we were, I was able to get help from the union when I was mm-hmm. being uh, mistreated by, by, uh, by a manager. I went to my union rep and he was able to rectify that issue. And I remember being getting, uh, being able to get my raises without any fight and without any, um, you know, pleading or begging. Uh, so, uh, and I was only 19 or uh, 20 at the time. So I think it's it's very important to have representation. Representation matters, not just like representation as in, as in you know, I look like you and I'm here to represent you. But yeah, you have to have representation in the form of people who believe in you, believe in what you stand for, believe in your rights, and they're willing to go and fight for you. Because if you don't have representation, just like so many times we talk about the housing market, we have families who are going before a judge and they don't have representation. They don't even understand the legal, among right. you know, the lingo, the legal lingo. And then here they are having to go and defend themselves in front of a judge, whereas the big landlords, the corporate landlords, the big time uh, landlords with multi-million dollars, they have representation. 90% studies have shown that 90% of landlords in this state of Massachusetts have representation when they're evicting a tenant. Whereas a tenant, less than 20% of them have representation because they cannot afford it. And then in Massachusetts, um, there's not a right to, you don't have a right for representation, you know, a right to counsel. Uh, you don't have that. So it's very important to know that um, for a lot of, for many families, you know, they're already bombarded with so much that are happening every single day. It's so important that they have somebody who can help hold their hands when they're going through a process. So yeah, you're negotiating your contract at work. Um, how many people can actually do that on their own? Most folks don't even want to talk about money. Yeah, not a chance. But that's why we say let's talk money with friends. They're embarrassed. I was talking to a performer uh, the other day, and he's like, you know, Gabriel, I love to perform. I love music. I love the only thing I don't like is that part where I have to negotiate my contract. I need someone to do that for me because I know over and over again, I've been taken advantage of. I've been paid less than I should have been paid for a job because I didn't know how to negotiate a fair and reasonable contract. So yeah, with housing, you have to be able to negotiate a fair and reasonable contract. Your rent increases. Why are they going at 50%? You have to be able to say, no, I cannot afford this. I need you to negotiate something lower. And in order for them to do that, they need to be part of a tenant union or a tenant association. Likewise, if you are at work and you're looking to negotiate a fair, reasonable rent increases, income, salary, guess what? You need representation. Yeah, it takes time, but hey, we all have time. We all have 24 hours, right? 
Yeah, we sometimes time, sometimes we don't have enough time. Because like like we said, we're all paying three or four, we're all working two or three jobs just to make eighty. I can't believe you said eighty percent of their income goes to rent. Yeah, yeah. That's the area medium income, and you're talking about two thousand dollars for a single apartment. If you have a child and you're married, or you have a mother, a, a parent, you need two bedrooms out. A yeah. two-bedroom apartment is twenty-two hundred dollars. Yeah, and all those people, and all those, all those people out there saying, "Why don't you just move?" Shut up! <laughs> just stop that right now. It's not easy to move. Moving is expensive. I, I've, oh, I yeah. moved. I've, I even moving in town. I moved two blocks in my current yeah. apartment. It cost me almost ten thousand dollars. Yeah, between between like the, the, the security deposit, uh-huh. the month's rent, the move, the final month's yeah. rent, like. But when it was all said and done, it ten thousand probably a little high. It's probably about seven thousand dollars. But like, and you're talking, yeah, but like I don't have seven grand just to throw around for a move. Like if I have to do that again this coming year, imagine that every single year when a lease ends because rent's too high. Yeah. What do you got? Your mind just moves. You'll never Stop be able it. to save. You'll never be able to save a dollar because every right. time you right because you're saving gone. you're saving for your next move and but like um yeah. if I if I some people a lot and of people and also there, do let me just say something quickly. Please. We have sweat equity in the city. Many times the town, the cities that are you folks are being gentrified or displaced out of because big landlords or rich landlords are coming in and they're pushing you out with high rent increases. The community fought hard to increase the value, you know, bring value to the community. Because I know in the Boston area here, especially in the black and brown communities of Boston, Folks fought hard for trend commuter rail, train stations, right? Stops commuter rail. They fought hard to have amenities. They have. They fought hard to have all the uh, value added benefits that they have right now. After 20 years of hiding, because I remember going to a church and I heard community members talking about, you know what? We live in this town and we hear the train passing by every single day. And here we are taking buses taking two, three trains to get to Boston. We would like to have a couple stops here in the area. And for 15 plus years, I used to go to those meetings. Folks were fighting, fighting. Community members, leaders were fighting. And eventually uh, they got the commitment from our local government to finance a couple commuter rail stops, right? Both of them are in the city. Uh, uh, the black and brown communities. And as soon as those stops, as soon as they were opening, all of a sudden all the prices gone up in the community. And prices for housing, prices, the rental and the, uh, and, the, and the market in terms of like buying and selling. Everything went up. And, you know, someone who doesn't understand might say, you know, what? well, it is the nature of things. This is capitalism. If the value has gone up, you cannot afford it, you get out. But what about all the sweat equity that these people put into bringing up the value? When do they get to benefit from that sweat equity? When do they get, what do they get in return for all the work that they've done? The only thing, obviously, they are being offered is to get out. Can you, can you, can you so explain? Almost like, you know, I said all the time, Will, can you imagine you come to my house and I sweated to create my mail, to, uh, to make my mail? I made a five-cost mail and I spent all day working on it. And then you came in, knock at my door and say, Gabriel, get out because this is my mail. I get to eat it. How fair is that? No, it's not. It's not fair at all. I, I, I do want to touch upon gentrification because mm-hmm. I, 
I have, again, I have mixed thoughts on gentrification because there's a lot of good with it and there's even more bad with it. But can you explain but, sweat equity? Like, I, it's a term yeah. I've heard here and there before, but ex- explain, well, explain in, my, in, the, in this situation, explain what it is and how it didn't work. Yeah, well, in my opinion, sweat equity is all the work that you have to do to bring value to your community. Right. For example, again, that example with the commuter rail, those hours spent going to meetings, those community okay. meetings that folks went to, those uh, hard work, picking up the phone, petitions, you know, going before elected officials, explaining why there will be uh, it will be a valuable asset for the community if they were to get those stops. And also to uh, find, you know, in order for you to bring any value, you got to do a lot of work. In addition to the fact that everybody pay taxes, you know. Right. It's not like it's only it's not only the rich because the thirty five thousand dollars average income. You don't you're not taking all that thirty five thousand home. Take a, yeah, you're take a if you take seventy percent of that. The government takes it. So you have money through your taxes that's been invested in the community. Your tax dollars were invested in addition to all the work because there are people in the community who are constantly working hard, slaving away to bring value to the community to make it a better community. You know, whether it is investing in the children, investing in the school, investing in the church, you know, churches, investing in just like the parks, making sure that everything is working, going around the neighborhood, making sure that everything is working fine and everybody's having a safe place, get a safe place to live. So if you've done all that work, can you imagine? I know folks at the church down the street that I'm talking about who did all that work for 20 years to bring about that train station. And yeah. they're the very same people are getting evicted out of the because, community. Because, because of gentrification. Gentrification, not only right. because they're not only renters, they're also homeowners because guess what? Now everything's going up, including taxes and insurance. And these fixed, uh, um, these uh, tenants or landlords or homeowners, I should say, these homeowners who are on fixed income are not able to afford the high increase uh, in rent or high increase in taxes or insurance. So we need to find a way to benefit, to let people benefit from the sweat equity, right? The newcomers should be paying a little higher, but those who've been there, who've done the work, ought to be uh, grandfathered in because it happened in California. I remember when I was going getting my master's in taxation, I read about a study or actually um, proposition, I believe it was proposition 76. I, I don't remember technically the number, but there was a proposition in California whereby like folks who were living there, who had lived there for years were experiencing gentrification because they were not tenants, they were homeowners, but they were being priced out of their uh, community because of the fact that taxes were going high, so, uh, going up so high that they couldn't afford it anymore. They couldn't afford to live in the neighborhood because the newcomers were coming in by multi, you know, paying so much more for a property, you know, with the speculative market. They were paying two, three times as much as these families had paid before. And all of a sudden, the families who've been there for years since the 70s were not able to live or stay. So they had to do something and they did. And they were able to get grandfathered in so that they didn't have to be pushed out of the community. So there are things we have to do. Um, yes, free market economy, but you know, if free market economy doesn't do everything, people are the one working hard. 
people are the one investing energies. They're the one investing their time. They don't want to invest in their sweat equity to build a community. And as soon as it is built, you know, you have these multinational corporations or big landlords. Um, we call them, uh, you know, corporate landlords. They come in and really try to evict everybody out of the community because now it's time for them to cash in. You cannot cash in from somebody else's hard work. Just like you cannot come in and eat my my five my five course meal after I've done the work. I get to eat it. I right. deserve to eat it, right? I, I just I just never heard that explained as sweat equity before. Because obviously with yeah. gentrification, like yeah. you don't you don't you don't get to reap the rewards of your hard work. You get to right. you are literally kind of handing off to someone who didn't do shit to do anything to get it in the first place. Yeah. And they yeah. tell you you don't belong anymore. Actually the people that I've worked with in the past here in Boston they receive letters from corporate landlords. You know, we call them Johnny, Johnny, Johnny's come lately. Is that the expression? Yeah, Johnny come lately. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny, no, Johnny I, come I lately. They, they came in. Uh, the next thing they did were they sent out eviction notices or high rent increases saying like, your rent is going up $500, $1,000 overnight. I mean, like how, the average person cannot afford that overnight or... If you cannot afford the high rent increase, uh, you get to leave. You no longer belong here. And when for actually tenants, uh, community members want to ask them, you know, what do you mean by we don't belong here? Well, there's a train station across the street now. This place is worth more money now. So therefore, you got to go. I like I like the idea of grandfathering in because gentrification. Yeah. Yes, everything you said that's not fair, and it's. Gross. And with this, just kicking people out for their hot. Yeah, no, disgusting. However, the flip yeah. and the flip side, gentrification creates more jobs. It creates better opportunities for people who move in. Correct. But so, is how do you kind of balance those two things? And I guess the answer is grandfathering well, the people we, in. You have to find a way to share the mill, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, you it's share. So how, how, do we, how do we do that? How do you do that? Yeah, well, you gotta tell me what's in it for me to share my meal with you. What I, what do I get in return, right? What do I get in return? Figuratively, well, couldn't, couldn't people just refuse to sell if someone's just like, "Hey, you gotta go." Like, no, well, because they're, they're renting. Is yeah. that it? If they're renting, they're yeah. gonna be in 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 Boston. There's no such there's such a thing as a no fault eviction, meaning like you can get evicted for doing nothing wrong. You don't have to do anything wrong. Yeah, the landlord can just be like, "I just don't want to rent anymore." Exactly. You can, can, you, can, you force, can you force a landlord to rent to someone though? Is that right? Uh, what do you mean force? Like if you, if you, so the landlord's saying like, I want to get rid of this person for no reason. This person's like, I want to stay. We don't force landlords to come to a neighborhood and buy either. No. We don't, force, not, we don't force them to come. If you come to a neighborhood, you should study the neighborhood to see the work that's been done by the right. people of the neighborhood. But if Just someone's already has my it. House, you come to my house, I've prepared my meal. You have to think about the fact that I've done the work all day to prepare that meal. You cannot come in and say, because I have money and I can to come in and take over your meal and now you don't get to eat. No, you have to come in, have a conversation, say I'm here to invest because I find this place a lucrative community to invest in because they find it lucrative after the work's been done. Remember right. that, they uh, uh, will. It's after the work's been done, it becomes lucrative, right? So is this a lucrative investment for me and for my investors? 
how can we make it win-win? Because what's happening, we're not forcing them or not forcing them, like forcing them to rent. You cannot force anybody, right? At the end of the right. day, when they come in, when I was in business school, I remember they say a fair return on your investment was about 12%, right? A fair yeah. return. Sure. Historically, that's what the stock market has done. But a lot of these new investors nowadays, these real estate investors, they're not looking for a fair, reasonable return on investment. They're looking to gouge. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. So and they're, they're really good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're they really good at it. Uh-huh. They come to a community and they're looking to extract, extractive economy du jour. They want to come and extract as much wealth as they can from that community after the work had been done by the community members, right? Now they're coming to cash in. So that's why you can either roll over and die and let them do whatever they want to do, or you can stand up and say, you know what? I have sweat equity. I've done the work. If you come here to eat, you can eat, but we have to, it has to be fair. How can we make sure it's fair? And it's going to take a fight. It's never easy. Because, you know, by nature, we're all greedy, right? Greed right. is the reason why we have the major gentrification and displacement that we've been experiencing in many major um, communities, uh, cities around the country and all over the world, actually. Greed. Because it's never enough. I've, you, you know about blood suckers, right? Of course. Vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're vampires. Well, yeah. I mean, that's just... Again, capitalism. But capitalism in itself is, is a game. And every game has an end. And if you ask me or you ask people, a lot of working people, we're at the ends. We're at the, we're at the late stage capitalism, I believe is the term. And uh -huh. there's, there, I had a podcast a long time ago with a good friend of mine named Chris Engelbert. There's, a good, there's three ways uh, the, uh, the game of Monopoly ends, the game of capitalism ends. Either... <laughs> either uh, Everyone, that, that one person owns everything and everyone's miserable, mm -hmm. pretty much everyone dies or you flip the board and it's just pure chaos. No, sorry, it's, it's everyone, it's, it's, sorry, it's a capitalist win everything and everyone's just miserable. Two, mm -hmm. uh, you just start over. Or three, you flip the board and it's pure chaos. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird to survival, me. Survival of the fittest, right? Yeah, but it, it's weird to me um, how... Like capitalists, it's all about the money. We say it's all about the money, all about the money. I'm going to tie it back to unions and then tie it back to housing. Like for union busting, Starbucks, for example, they'd rather pay millions and millions and millions of dollars to fight the union right. rather than spending hundreds of thousands to give them what they want, yeah. which sounds very counterproductive. UPS, same thing. They just, they just want air conditioning in their trucks, which how they not have air conditioning in their trucks? That costs yeah. them a few hundred thousand dollars. To really do, realistically. But the fight for it in the union busting uh, or the negotiations is costing them millions of dollars a day. Same with the writer's strike. The, Hollywood's losing millions upon millions upon millions of dollars a day. Well, I can tell you firsthand. Um, so why risk all that money in the long run or the short run? This, for, this concessions are so small. They don't want to lose. But they, they are losing. They're losing millions a day. Well, trust me, they're not losing. I mean, to us, they're losing, but they don't want to lose. Yeah. Because they rather they rather fight you. I know personally someone who's been in court with a bank. Uh, started with bank, you know, the the banks, lo local bank here, actually a national bank, fighting for fifteen years, 
what? 15 years for, 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 for a property. Yeah. All they have to do, all they, they, they needed to do, all they've been needed to do is sit down and negotiate a fair and reasonable contract with that person right. and say, you know what, go under your merry way. But that's, that would be too easy. They don't want to do that. They don't want to drag you to the court system because everybody has to eat off of you. I'm telling you, it's blood sucking. Yeah. <laughs> it's laughable, but it is. Everybody has to eat. They have to drag you to the court system. Lawyers have to collect hundreds of hours of billable hours, right? And you have mountain debt. You have all this the stress that the families deal with. People have lost their lives fighting um, those big banks, the same banks, those same banks who collected billions of dollars from Obama when the 2008 crisis hit uh, the United States or the globe, I would say, the Great Recession of 2008. Obama in the United States simulated the economy with billions of dollars, you know, the trickle-down the trickle down economy. That didn't never really trickle down. For, didn't, didn't trickle, never didn't trickle too for far. The working, no, it never worked didn't, for the Didn't working. trickle too far. Because neither those Trump tax cuts. Neither those Trump tax cuts for the rich. It didn't trickle down too far either. It didn't. So if it, if it did, it didn't trickle down far enough. No, you have families today. Though there are plenty, many of them lost their homes, their only livelihood, their only asset, lost mm -hmm. their homes. But those who mm -hmm. did not lose, many of them, believe it or not, 2008, a child who was born in 2008, how old would that child be today? 15. 15. There are people who are still fighting today for a home because the bank, like you say, it would be easy for them to yeah. have a conversation and say, you know what, this is this going on too, too long. Let me call it a day. Let's have a solution to this. Let's go and, you know, I have better fish to fry. They don't have better fish to fry. If they're choking you, why should they go look for better fish? Yeah. They can choke the, you know, choke the life out of you. So, yeah. Uh, I am part of the system. I'm in the system, but it's very important to understand how it works and how it's working against families and that every single day, that's why we do the show. Let's talk money with friends. We don't want folks to internalize the shame because there's no shame in your game. You have not done anything wrong and you don't want to internalize, you know, um, uh, you know, do, do harm to yourself when the truth yeah. of the matter is the game is rigged against you. It is. The only it's, way you can fight is through collective power. And yeah, that's with the community. And, and a corporate landlord is not the answer. Now, we're going to finish up on housing here. And right. I'm going to kick it off with housing because the whole, this like this movement going on from like the people at the top saying renting is actually better than owning. To which I go, who's going to own it then? Yeah. If because it's the, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wild guess here. It's the people who saying renting's better who are gonna actually own the property. So if that's the case, what? if that's the case, why do you want to own it? Because there are there are benefits to renting. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I had my AC was leaking last week in the built-in wall unit. I called the landlord. She had to come take care of it. She had to pay for it. I just write her a check for rent. However, when I leave and she sells this place, she's gonna make a killing on it. Right. So. It's like renting, renting a house has, or buying, excuse me, buying a house has been known as the American dream mm -hmm. since forever. Everyone wants to mm -hmm. buy a house. It's, it's, when my, when my grandma passed, you know, she left like three houses. My mom and dad immediately retired. That's the mm -hmm. power of owning property mm -hmm. in this country. So 
If people are saying sure. renting's better, I say, yeah, then you sell your houses then and start renting. Lead by example. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. Uh, like you said, uh, there are a number of reasons why someone would choose to rent. If mm-hmm. you are transient, you're not like going to be here for a long time, mm-hmm. especially those who are coming and going in Boston for school. They don't want to buy. Some Correct. of them are choosing to do it. If they have the asset, they'll do it because they know a couple of years or a few years appreciation is good for them. But going back again in Boston, many of the people, most of the folks who live here in Boston are renters. They're not homeowners. Mm-hmm. They're renters. And mm-hmm. also, yeah, there are benefits to owning and renting as a tax uh, professional. I tell you, you know, the capital appreciation and also you have the tax ex- exclusion when you own a home and you have the home for more than two years. If you sell up to half a million dollars, if you are, that's a primary resident, residence, uh, resident. If you are, if you sell uh, up to a half a million dollars, uh, is excluded from capital gain, right? Capital gain. So mm-hmm. if for a family, like you said, it would be a great option for them to build equity and build wealth, right? Pass it on to their next generation. But also too, uh, someone who owns, who rents, has the opportunity to appreciate asset to or to accumulate wealth if they're paying a reasonable rent, right? If you're not paying 80% of your income towards rent, you are too, you will be able to accumulate. You're not gonna do the real estate accumulation, right. but you might have your disposable income going to the market. Or, or you can build toward, you can save towards buying a house. And correct me if I'm wrong, I say yeah. it's, it's what, oh, 30, really? 30% of your income should go towards Rent or housing? Yeah, with, right? with Section 8 or like control social housing, it would be 30% of your income. Or How many people control. actually hit that margin though? I th- I'm cl- Most people close. are paying a lot more. I, I, pay, I pay a little more than 30%. I probably pay close to 40. Yeah. But how many people realistically so hit that number? On, I know for me in Boston, only those who are on section, uh, section 8 housing get to pay 30% of their income or Section 8 or project-based Section 8, those folks are paying uh, 30%. But most, everybody else, a lot more, a lot more. But going back again to, like, how do you build wealth? You you know, housing is not the only way to build wealth. You can build wealth through a business or right. investing in the market mm-hmm. or investing in your children's education. <laughs> that's another way. Investing in anything that's a, an appreciable asset, okay? It doesn't have to be a home. So if you are renting and you're not rent burden, you are able to save, you are able to invest, and you are able to do other things with your disposable income, you'll be pr- practically in the same, you know, same situation as someone who owns. It's just like a person who owns will have an asset that they know that all the investment is in that asset and eventually it will appreciate. And historically, yes, uh, Real estate has done ha, has in many cases outpaced the market and it's done better than the market. But at the end of the day, either one, whether you rent in or owning, if you have disposable income, you can definitely invest and be able to accumulate asset and accumulate wealth. The problem with right now, because those who are renting, especially in Greater Boston area or in places like New York or or high rent um, burdened areas like uh, California, 
so much of your income is going towards rent. You don't have anything else. You don't have anything else. Um, and that's the reason why um, for a lot of people, they see renting or owning as the only solution to being able to create wealth, right? What so, the, yeah, the, I mean, the, the tax benefits too, the tax. But why is it that you're not able to deduct your rent from your tax return? Like um, the, the deduction. You, the, the renters, let's say you pay $24,000 for rent this year and you're not able to deduct anything, right? In Massachusetts, they give you $3,000 deduction. But federal, at the federal level, you cannot deduct your rent because that's a personal expense, they call it. And yet, someone who owns a home is able to deduct their interest. Property, property taxes? Oh, no, is, is it the mortgage? Interest and taxes. And if it's uh, investment in property, uh, all the other expenses. But yeah, you are able to deduct your interest, mortgage interest, and taxes. And of so course, the not the person, person who owns the house and is renting it out gets to write off tax, gets to, gets to write off of the payments you are making. Correct. Exactly. You literally, that's why going back to corporate landlords, you are really, literally the one paying for the mortgage, you're paying for the taxes, you're paying for the insurance. Yeah, you pay, you pay you're for everything. everything. But, but, but they get to and write they it get off. To, they get to write it off. And well, they that's, get why, to, that's why us renters can't, because they can. Right, it'd, yeah. it'd, be a, it'd be a double write-off for the government. Why would they do that? I know. They're able to write it off, and they get to benefit from all the appreciation that you... So when you own a property, you have the asset appreciation, capital yep. appreciation, yep. and then you have the income. So they're collecting income, they're collecting rents, and they have the asset appreciation. And, of course, their return on investment is huge. Versus a, a tenant gets nothing except for the opportunity to live in an apartment. And many times, well, the apartment is such dire, bad condition that even a dog shouldn't be living in those apartments. Yeah. Because and, I feel and many it's, times they're trying to it's, huh? it's very hard to get like it's very hard to get maintenance requests, like especially for a corporate landlord. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. Good luck getting a maintenance request from like BlackRock being your landlord. Good luck. Let me know how that goes oh, yeah. for you. Yeah, I, I've been in situations where I've seen uh, apartments with mold. I, a woman just sent me an email the other day, actually a, a text with pictures of her apartment, mold, and you have conditions that are so bad that you're like, and you're paying $2,000 a month every month to these people? Yes, but I don't want to be homeless, and they're afraid. They don't want to be homeless. They don't know that they can stand up and fight against this because you should have habitable and a safe place to live. If you're exchanging a premium, you're exchanging money for uh, for uh, an apartment, you ought to have a habitable, clean, safe apartment. But many yeah. times, folks are too busy working three jobs. Yeah. And also, they're too afraid. They don't have the three months to go for security, the first and last. So they're like, you know what, because I don't have that three month, uh, three month uh, rent to uh, save up, I don't want to worry. I don't want to fight my landlord because if I fight my landlord, I am going to lose, especially if they're fighting by themselves. All right. Let's, let's finish up with uh, rent control. Rent control is another hot topic, which people think can solve a lot of problems while others think it's going to cause a lot more problems. I already know where you lie. So let me just kind of set the table here. Rent control for people who don't know is it's exactly what it sounds like. 
a city an ordinance or whomever can make that decision and go, rent cannot go above this price in this building. Now, if I owned multiple properties, the argument for that is obviously people with lower income and it's a way to fight off gentrification and it's a way for people to stand a chance and fight against rising rent costs for whatever reasons, greed and whatever. That's a good thing about rent control. I myself live in a rent controlled building, so, right. you know, thank you. However, the flip side is, and I don't know how true this is, but this is what I hear. Rent control is going to artificially increase the rents of the other buildings that aren't rent controlled because not every building in the ter- like in a neighborhood or like a town is rent controlled. So whatever building isn't rent controlled is going to be up higher to make up for the loss of the rent control. How accurate is that? You give me a look like I'm, like I'm crazy here. No, please, no. De- de- debunk that, please, because I don't want that to be true. <laughs> uh, I, no, it's not true. If anything, it's going to help reduce, it's going to help decrease the amount of rent everybody's paying because if the landlord knows that they cannot get more than a thousand dollars for this one, or if we know the going the going rate of increase, meaning like for every year your rent, the going rate cannot be more than ten percent. Guess what? Everybody rent, rent control down here in Jersey at least it's based off the CPI, the Consumer Price, mm-hmm. Index. Price Index. So it's oh, it's God. an adjustable rate based off the economy. Which, yeah, which, is, which is fair, but then you can be like, okay, the CPI can be rigged, but please continue. Well, as you said, the rent control will impact mostly everybody, not just certain buildings, because there are some buildings I know in Massachusetts right here, we have buildings who already have rent control. What they have is a collective bargaining agreement where the landlord cannot hide, can cannot go higher than 3.5% or 2.5% annually Typically, those contracts were uh, uh, written after tenants in the building fought long and hard to get a collective bargaining agreement. And they were able to negotiate a long term, I think I mentioned that earlier, with the landlord. And now the landlord knows for the next five to 10 years, the tenants who are in this building who've been here, they've been grandfathered in. Their rent will not go any higher than 3.5%. Now, new tenants that come in, yeah, sometimes they get to pay higher rents. But with what we show in Massachusetts, we've been fighting for rent control in such a way that that rent control policy would cover everybody, except for a few, let's say, if you are on an occupied building. I believe in Massachusetts right now, the rent control legislation that we're fighting for will exempt for apartments, like buildings with four apartments, meaning like unoccupied buildings with up to four apartments. So those landlords will not be governed by the rent control policies that are, would be in place. But at the end of the day, let's see, let me tell you, monkey see, monkey do. If the corporate landlord down the street cannot go up more than 10% or more than 2.5% or the CPI, consumer price index inflationary rate, of three and a half percent, let's say this year, the inflation, the CPI is three and a half percent. If the corporate landlord who has 500 apartments across the street cannot go up more than three and a half percent, you think the one across the street from that landlord with four apartments is gonna say to a tenant, your rent is going up 20%? How are they gonna be able to do that? It's gonna be impossible because they know that the, what the, the tenant is going to do, they're going to say, thank you very much. 
goodbye and then they're gonna wait for an apartment that's empty across the street and they're gonna go across the street so protecting tenants with rent control is gonna benefit everybody trust me it's not like or the few apartments or the few apartments who are exempt somehow they're gonna be able to do whatever they want they're not gonna be able to do what they, what they want because monkey see monkey do and there's nothing they will not be able to get over with it because nobody's gonna stay in the apartments if they go crazy and many of them have been able to charge higher rents because if you have a three um a three family home a building and you're like, oh, I'm I'm charging fifteen hundred dollars for my two bedroom, right? And then you heard across the street that corporate landlord is charging twenty five hundred. What are you gonna do? Again, we are all greedy by nature. We're gonna say, oh, I need to go charge at least two thousand dollars. But if it's the other way around, there is no way you're gonna be able. Again, going back to Walmart charging two dollars for I don't know a slipper. And then you, as a small um, mom and pops, try to charge yeah, ten thousand to see how long you last. You know that's why many of them couldn't last because Walmart uh, came in and drove them out of town. But I mean, in terms of like the benefits of being able to do rent uh, control, being able to protect families, and for them to be able to have predictable rent increases, you know, you can budget. I mean, I know the fear and the anxiety uh, that oh, yeah. these families have had to deal with when you come home after a long day of work and you get a notice under your um, door saying like, dear Miss, Mr. Will, your rent that you've been paying for $1,500 is not going up. Can you imagine? $2,000, I, 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 I was that person a, a few years ago. You know, I live in Hoboken, New Jersey. I, we have rent, rent explosions just as yeah. much as anyone else. I think in the top 100 cities, like most expensive city in the country, Hoboken was number seven, and we're a square mile, put that in perspective. Okay. So, yeah, when I found that out, it was like a month or two before, like, I was going to get that notice of my rent going up, and mm-hmm. I was terrified. I was panicking every single day, just waiting to figure out how much it was. Because it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when I found it was going to go mm-hmm. up. And, like, I saw these Facebook posts online of people saying, like, my rent was up, like, 200%. I'm like, oh, what the My gosh. Yeah. Like, you know, I was terrified. And I ended up just calling the I, – I couldn't take – I ended up calling the building manager. It's like, how much is it going to go up? They're like, we don't know for sure, but we think it's going to be, like, 5.5%. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, thank God, <laughs> right? But, like, it was, such, it was such a sigh of relief. And yeah. I don't know if that building was rent controlled. I don't remember. But – you know, it's yeah, because it's, you, it's you stressful. Talk. It's so yeah. stressful. It is stressful. Housing is a human right. I know it's not the law, but housing ought to be a human right because at the end of the day, uh, health housing is uh, health um, it impacts your health. Housing impacts your social environment, your skills. Housing impacts everything. Your mental health definitely. So when you're saying like you were feeling anxious, you had anxiety over how much my rent is going to go up. You're losing sleep. I know folks mm-hmm. who cannot sleep at night. They have to work. Can you imagine having somebody who's going to your job to take care of your, I don't know, work? Um, maybe they're working in the healthcare industry. Or maybe they're taking care of your children as teachers or teachers' aid. And they they spend all night worrying about how much their rent's going to go up to. 
And then now they're in front of your kids. They're losing patience. They, they don't have patience. They don't have the loving spirit that they ought to have because every night they're losing sleep. They cannot sleep. They're thinking all about, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to stay in the neighborhood? Am I going to have to drive two hours away from work now? And many times if they move that far away, you might lose a great teacher. You might lose a great worker because of the fact that, listen, your workers, they have to sleep someplace at night. And home, home is where they sleep at night. And if the home is not in check, if they're not able to have safe, habitable, and reasonably priced rent to deal with, guess what? You're not going to have the most effective employee. Uh, you have high turnovers, so it really impacts everything. It really, housing ought to be a human right. That's why we were talking offline that in places like Vienna, and you, I know you had mentioned socialism. This country is a capitalist country, but a country like Vienna, um, Austria, I'm sorry, Austria, in Vienna, they have social housing, where again, um, they had similar issues that we have here today. Uh, at one point, two people would rent the same room because they would have it in the morning and the other one will have it at night because the price was so expensive, uh, prices in terms of like to rent was so high that two different individuals were renting the same room. Because if I work at night, I could come and sleep in the morning and you work in the morning, you come out at night. Can you imagine? It's really difficult to yeah. have to deal in that situation. However, the country decided, you know what, this cannot go on. And I believe in the early 1900s, like 1920, 25, I had written an article, I had read an article about that. They decided, you know what, we need to have social housing where nobody pays more than 30% and even lower, you know, and the quality of life has improved. As a matter of fact, people are going to Vienna to look at those buildings, to take a look at the different models that even those who are fighting for land control here in this country have gone overseas. I know I met a gentleman who's done research about that. He's gone to Vienna to really research, to study the model, to see if that model could be duplicated here in the United States because we are the richest country in the world, right? World-class Allegedly. Leader. Allegedly. So they and say. Yet, are we though? Our people are homeless. Our people are losing sleep at night. The teachers who are teaching your your students, your kids, are going home, are going to work restless because they had not slept the night before, worrying about how much their rent is going up to um, every year. So we need to do something about that. Everything is expensive, and you could go without lobster. You could go without um, fine dining, right? You could go without a vacation event. You could Amari, go without I, I, already, I already go without those things. So yeah. yeah keep, but keep can preaching. you really go keep without preaching. a home? Can you I go without a home? I could, I could not do the social housing. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't think the fact, I don't think that would work in America because people are just the culture. Culturally, I don't think Americans would be able to handle that because we're too materialistic. We like owning things. We mm -hmm. like buying things. That's well, just, you don't know what's in it for us to not have to be owners because we've been sold that i mean like if you go to business school you go do work i mean all your life they say like the american dream is home ownership what are you gonna do you're gonna do what you know right yeah. the american dream is home ownership 
But what else can be the that could be the American dream? Being able to sleep at night knowing that you live in a home because your apartment is also a home, right? Yeah. yeah. Your home, you live in a home that you can stay in for as long as you want and you can build community because you're not a rent burden. You're not working two, three jobs. You can get to know your neighbors because your neighbors actually get to see you on Saturday because you're in the backyard or you're in the common parking, uh, what do you call it, the parks. You know, you all hanging around together. You having barbecues together you because you are not rent burden. And you know, this is long-term. You don't have, you're not going to be pushed out. You're not going to get gentrified. You're not going to get displaced. This is long-term housing. Listen, we are simple. Human beings are very simple. The only reason why we want to build equity, equity, equity is because we're worrying about the future. How am I going to be able to retire? How am I going to be able to do this? Because once upon a time, again, the same corporations who are paying us lower wages today, used to have pension plan, but Reagan came around and before Reagan even, no more pension, no more defy, defined benefit plans. So you don't get any patient, uh, not patient, you don't get any pension plan. Guess what? Now you are in, when I'm old, I'm not able to work 12 hours, 15 hours, how am I gonna survive? Of course, we've been told that the only way you can secure your future is to make sure that you own a home that can build equity or make sure you have a 401k and all that stuff because nothing is going to be given to you anymore. What if we start changing that and really give people options and better benefits and better opportunities to save money because they're not rent burden and to be able to own a home if they want to, but not put all their hopes and dreams for future security in the, in the home because that's what's happening right now. You know, her home is no longer a place where you enjoy family and have fun and build community. Everybody's thinking of a home as this commodity that they get to, um, they get to um, uh, build up, I guess, of, uh, they, they get to have so that they can have future peace of mind and accumulate wealth because there's no other way to accumulate wealth right now. Everybody's fighting for that one piece of the pie, home ownership, right? It's a piece. It's a piece of the pie. But Gabrielle, to reach that to reach that destination, it starts with education. That's exactly what you do. That's exactly yeah. what this podcast. Oh, excuse me, your podcast does. So I'm like I said in the beginning. I'm very glad your podcast exists. Clearly, you are very very good at it because you just gave me an education lesson here for a little over an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, and counting. What? Oh my God! We said we're gonna do this for less than an hour. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I was, I was trying, I was trying to get there, but hey, you were, you were, you were on a roll. You were on a roll. I didn't want, I didn't want to slow you down. But it is time to go. I'll bring you back because I could speak to you on this for hours upon hours okay. upon hours upon hours. But please, before we go, please tell everyone where the podcast can be found, your business, anything you want to share, my friend. The floor yeah. is yours. Yeah, thank you so much, Will, again for having me on your show. I really am very excited. Um, to hear more from your audience. Um, my show is Let's Talk Money with Friends. I'm on social media, all the mediums, uh, different uh, media outlets. I have LinkedIn, I have Facebook, I have YouTube, and I'm on Twitter as well. And I'm going to try to tackle other platforms pretty soon. And TikTok, I think I have put some of my uh, reels on TikToks. Yeah. And, um, every Wednesday at seven o'clock we go live. Yes. I kept thinking we were live here, but we go live because 
I want to have that live interaction with my audience. Uh, please tune in. Let's talk money with friends. My name again is Gabrielle Rene. If you look for me, it's Gabrielle Rene EA. No, I'm not an executive assistant. EA stands for Enrolled Agent. I enroll agents. Um, I am uh, licensed. Um, I, I have my enroll agent license. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. Basically, we are tax experts. We are America's tax experts. So yeah, look me up. Um, you know, the conversations are deep. They're profound. Uh, they're relevant and they're timely. So you're always gonna learn something. You're gonna always gonna get something out of the show that we do. And we want you to participate and give us your feedback. I know sometimes our opinions are not popular, but again, it's education. Um, Will just mentioned it, it's education because at the end of the day, my number one priority is to spread love. And I know that you cannot love people if you don't take care of them. I don't know if you will, don't mind, but I'm also a believer. And I believe that the Bible talks about to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbors as yourself. And when you love people, you take care of them. And I feel like many times the system, this is a Christian country, so we say, and yet the very people that we're supposed to love, our neighbors, they're the ones who are going homeless, they're losing sleep at night, the kids cannot eat, they're being gentrified, they're losing community, they're losing connection because somebody comes in and say, you no longer belong here, get out. So for me, understanding how money works and how money can work for you, also encompasses understanding how important it is to have community and understand how important it is to not do this by yourself because alone you're not gonna make it but together there is power in unity and i want everybody to be empowered by having unity and by coming together as a collective so yeah thank you so much come together with us on a wednesday any given wednesday at seven o'clock live on let's uh, with let's talk money with friends thank you again will for having me tonight absolutely gabrielle thank you so much for being here you are phenomenal i could listen to you talk for hours and hours but luckily you got your own podcast for that ladies and gentlemen my name is will tarashuk t is in thomas a-r-a-s-h-u-k this has been a talking with tarashuk podcast uh find all my stuff you know you know my podcast is by now facebook youtube uh, TikTok, Instagram, talk with Tara Shark. If you want to be a guest, email me, will, uh, Willie T Productions info at gmail.com. It's W I L L Y T Productions, P R O D U C T I O N S. It's plural, Productions info at gmail.com, and I'll have you on. It'll be a great time. I'll be back next week speaking with a founder. Uh, his name is Rahul, and we're going to talk about taking risks as a founder. That's going to be a lot of fun. He's with the Day One uh, Fellowship, which I did a few months ago. So that's going to be a good follow-up with Rahul. Can't wait to do that. We'll see you there. But until then, y'all take care.